0: Will be our first stop this morning, and a message entitled "The Role of a Church Member." Um, yeah, so I was telling some folks uh, we have a ton of guests this morning that I'm seeing, and uh, I, you know, I hope as we teach on the role of a church member, and I'm going to talk a lot about the importance of church membership. Um, you know, this could go one of two ways. You might decide, man, I want to want to become a church member here or somewhere. Um, or you could just decide that you never want to come back here again. Um, but I, I, hope, I hope the former, not the latter. Um, and so understand that uh, this is such an important topic, such an important message. Uh, the, the way we function as Grace Fellowship, too, we preach through books of the Bible. We're in Romans right now. We'll pick that up in February. But we take January every year to just talk about some vision things, some things that we, we believe the church needs instruction on, and this, this January we're talking about the role of a church member, the role of an elder, the role of a deacon, and so that's kind of why we're in this series. But uh, just to recap last week, Carlton uh, cast a vision last week uh, for the year, if you, if, you, if you think like that. He, he made a plea. Uh, Last week's sermon, I think, can be summed up as a plea to us that we would be, Grace Fellowship would be a praying people, a people who don't rely on our own strength, a people who are not enamored by our own power, but people who live with a wholly different perspective on life, a perspective that sees through the superficial glory that most of the world lives with and lives for but a perspective that desires that the glory of God would be made known in all of life. The glory of God would be displayed in all of life, from investment strategies to parenting to careers to friendships, even down to the place in which you grab coffee and fill up your gas tank. Carlton reminded us last week that it's the word of God that reveals this wholly different perspective to life, and it's prayer that enables us to live with this wholly different perspective. You see it there? Time in God's word transforms the way you think and understand life, you think about and understand life, while a healthy prayer life transforms the way you approach all of life. Time in God's word transforms your goals, pursuits, and aims, while a healthy prayer life transforms the way you go about reaching those goals, aims, and pursuits. Is this making sense? That's what Carlton shared with us last week, and I want to be more clear for those of you that weren't here last week, because this is such a big point to get. God's word will show me that worrying about my children will not change a single thing. It'll show me that God is sovereign over all things, and I am not. While praying about the specific fears and concerns i have for my children will free me up to laugh, love and lead them fearlessly, knowing my god is pulling strings i know nothing about. That's the, that's good news, and that's what we have in god's word and prayer. And one thing is sure church, when we ask our god to work, he works. He works. So Carlton's main thrust in last week's message was that life that is spent knowing God through his word and prayer will usher us into our calling, which is your calling, if you've been looking for it, which is to live like Christ in everything that we do, that the earth may be filled with his glory just as the waters cover the sea. So many people are asking, what is my calling? And they're searching relentlessly for their calling. Well, I'm telling you what it is. From God's word, your calling is to know God so intimately that his heart becomes your heart. Or in the words of Paul, his image and likeness become your image and likeness. You were born, in the words of Rihanna, to shine bright like a diamond. Listen to me, it's true, shine bright like a diamond as you reflect the brilliant glory of our God into all of life, all of life. Not because you have some inner light yourself, we are created in his image to reflect his glory. When your heart becomes his heart and when you're in communion with him through word and prayer, you reflect and you shine brightly in this dark world. And when that changes for you, the rest of life, hear this, the rest of life becomes mere details. Just details. But you see, too many of us, like those who don't know God, often get lulled back. I'm I'm here. Get lulled back into fixating and obsessing on the details of life. As if we're going to find our true calling there. And this is so sad. Because according to Jesus, this causes us to miss out on the glorious life that he has prepared for us. A thrilling life that would be all about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And now here's the segue into our sermon this morning. There is no way, no way. To live out your true calling if you are not carrying out your role as a church member. There's no way to live out your true calling if you're not carrying out your role as a church member. So can I pray for us as we begin? (coughs) Father, you are good and you love us and you have made this known. This is what we've sung about this morning God, you've given us your church that you've grafted us into to bless us as we're a blessing to her. Father, I know there are many people here this morning coming from many different perspectives who have many different life experiences, and I pray for the awesome power of your word to speak to them right where they're at. pray, God, that you would, as you always do, speak loud and clear in just the way we personally, as different members of this body, need to hear your voice this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So at Grace Fellowship, we believe that church membership matters. That's why we're doing this sermon this morning. That's why we're having this series. You might have been to a church before, <clears throat> that, uh, and I grew up at one, where if you wanted to become a church member, essentially you walked down the aisle and you filled out a card and you checked some boxes and a few moments later you were ushered up into the front of that church and they said, this morning we have our newest member. And you were presented to the church as the newest member member. Now, I just want to be honest with you. The elders at Grace Fellowship believe that this is reckless, all right? We don't do membership this way, um, but but worse than even reckless, uh, we believe that the really bad thing about doing membership this way is it screams, membership doesn't matter. Come one, come all. Be a part of us, right? And it's not that we're not calling the world to repent and believe upon Jesus so they can be a part of the body of Christ. But, but we take membership seriously because it does matter. Who we recognize as being part of the body of Christ is so important because the role of every church member is important. We believe that every member, every church member, their role is vital in this body. No one's an appendix or tonsils that can just be thrown out and we'll be fine. You see, being a church member is absolutely necessary if you're going to make any true growth into Christ. The local church is His body. Is His body. So to say that you are in Christ, to say that you're in Christ, yet you are not part of His body, it doesn't make any biblical sense. I'm not giving an opinion here. I'm speaking biblically. A self-proclaimed Christian that is not a member of a local church is like an orphan who swears they have a home. Well, maybe they do. But if you do, why are you acting like an orphan? I want you to think about that question. As I know we have probably many people here who are not members of churches. Why are you acting that way? Why are you? Why is church membership not an obviously critical component of everyone's relationship with Jesus? Well, first off, some people are ignorant to what the scriptures say about church membership. I don't have time to dig into all that. There's so many sermons I could preach on this topic today. But I'll just tell a quick story. The the, the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. is a man named Mark Dever. And Mark Dever, um, he has spent decades studying the scriptures about the local church. And he makes a a point to go to college campuses and speak. And uh, when he's there, uh, often students will tell him that they uh, are Christians, but they are not part of a local church. And this is what he likes responding to them with. Well, uh, I'm not sure if you're a Christian. It's a little snarky, but... The point is this, the scriptures know nothing of a Christian who is not a member of a local church. Just don't know any, that's not in there. But another reason that people are so slow to become members of churches, and I want to be real, like, understand, like, there's, there's, there's a lot of empathy here, but one reason is that many people have been hurt by churches, like, really hurt by Churches. And, and let me be clear, if you're one of those people here this morning, like, you'll be cavalier just getting to this issue. You need to be a church member. Like, I understand, like, I've heard stories, awful stories, I think we all have, of how the church has abused people and misused people. This is no light issue. But let me promise you something, that our God is a just God. And for those who lead churches and abuse God's people, they will be judged much worse according to the Scriptures. They will. But then there are others who avoid church membership because if they're honest, they see it as a big commitment they're not sure if they can make. They may shy away from the possibility of being held to a standard, being held accountable Living up to a standard of holiness that maybe they don't have time for, they're not sure they can do. When I began coaching basketball last year at Faith Christian, something became very obvious pretty quickly. What became obvious was that the guys I had been put in charge of coaching hadn't been held to much of a standard prior to my arrival. And what this meant was that guys showed up when they want and gave the effort that they want. You see the problem here? standard that I was putting in place was you show up every day and you give maximum effort on just our third official day of basketball practice because I like starting off with a splash I made our entire team take off their basketball shoes go outside to the field and we ran circles for two hours and 45 minutes it's a great way to start your career as a basketball coach We want it to be short-lived, but here's the point, and you can't get around this. If you don't live up to the standard that has been set, then you don't deserve the privilege of playing basketball. Now, you might be thinking, wow, that's commendable, that's great. But this is what bugs me. We're fine with that kind of standard in sports and many other fields. But when it comes to Jesus' church, we have a tendency to go soft on the account that Jesus' grace extends to everyone. His grace does extend to everyone, but this is erroneous thinking. Our God has a high and holy standard, and He has made clear that He is eternally committed to His standard so much that He sent His own son to live in perfect accordance with his standard and then be handed over and judged on behalf of those who did not live up to the standard. So now that this has happened, now that God has sent his son and provided grace and atonement for us not living up to the standard, does this mean that God's standard has been relaxed? No, 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 no. Far from it. The standard remains Jesus came to earth, met the standard, and bore our punishment. But that doesn't mean we live now however we want to and presume upon his grace. Grace has never relaxed his standard, and neither should his church relax his standard. Jesus says this in Matthew five nineteen. He's very clear about it. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, he will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches others to do them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And listen to Hebrews 10, 26. This is a frightening passage. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's adversaries. You see, when believers join God's church, they are called to live up to a standard that exemplifies the great and glorious character of our God. That's what you're called to when you join a church. And this is done precisely by carrying out your role as a church member, which we're going to get to. But when this doesn't happen, God has called his leaders, his his under-shepherds, his pastors, his elders. He's called them to discipline his people for their good. And let me say this. Where in churches where this standard is not being called for. And where pastors are not disciplining church members who fail to meet it. God is not honored. No matter what else is happening at the church. God's holiness it matters. It's why we see Paul write letters to the churches calling them to purge sin and purify his body. Church, more than the organization you work for, more than my basketball team, more than anything else, the church's standard should be high and holy. Members should be called upon and expected to carry out their role. And this is why. For the revealing of God's glory among this world depends on it. Don't miss that. The revealing of God's glory to this world depends on it. So, what is the role of a church member? And that's what we're seeking to answer today And I want to begin by saying that there's a whole lot of ways to answer this question. This sermon doesn't have the time to answer all of those. And so one of the things that we did was we provided a resource. As you leave today, uh, for those of you in the balcony, you'll have to come this way. um, And right beside the sound booth and in the back, there's a small little book called What is a Healthy Church Member? Um, It's written by the guy I mentioned earlier. Well, it's the one of his guys wrote the book. And it's a really helpful resource. It takes like an hour to read uh, if you're a quick reader. If you're slow, maybe two. Um, But it's really worth an hour or two of your time to dig in and look at what is all said there. It's saying a lot more than I can say in this short time this morning. But today what we're going to do is we're going to begin by reading from Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 in an attempt to get a picture of the goal that we're trying to accomplish by carrying out this specific role. Don't miss that. So, I know I said we're about to talk about the role of a church member, but I got one more thing to hit before we hit the role of the church member, and that is, what goal are we trying to accomplish in carrying out the role? You ever been told to do something and you didn't know why you were doing it? Some of you do your kids this way. You just tell them to do something and you don't, you don't, you leave them in the dark about why they're doing it, right? And there are times that we need that, that kind of stuff, right? Um, but I don't want that to happen this morning. I don't just want to tell you what to do without telling you what we're trying to accomplish, what's been trying what God is trying to accomplish. So that's what we're going to get is we're going to uh, look at the goal and then we're going to look at the role really, really quickly. We're going to try to run this morning. Um, so as we read these 16 verses, I'm going to ask you to do something that normally we don't do here at Grace Fellowship. Um, when we read, normally we, we really like detailed Uh, We're we're we believe in expositing the scriptures, which means like looking at the details and all these different things I actually want to read these 16 verses and I want you to try to try to just zoom out and see a picture Rather than like all the detailed brushstrokes. Just try to see the big picture of what's going on here All right, here we go Ephesians 4 1 through 16 I therefore prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul didn't know much about periods. Rather, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful picture. And, and what I want to do now is just as, we, as, as Paul's painted this beautiful picture for us, I just want us to look at, at a few different things in it. Not everything, but just a few different things. One thing I want you to take note of is that Paul here, this is bigger context, he's writing to A local church. Ephesus, Ephesians, that is a letter to an actual local congregation. He's telling them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. You see the corporate emphasis here? It's important to note that from Paul's writings that we have, almost all of them are to local congregations. They're not to people, individuals. We do have two letters to Timothy and one letter to Titus. But you want to guess what those letters are about? (laughs) Timothy and Titus were local pastors. And he was telling them how to lead God's local body. So Paul tells the local church in Ephesus, this is what he says. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have received. And we've already talked about calling. Carlton talked about that last week. But now he's saying walk in a manner worthy of that calling and he then goes on to exemplify what this would look like. Things like humility, gentleness, patience, and don't miss this one, bearing with one another in love, bearing with one another in love. This is an important part of the picture that I want to just pause for a moment on. Um, you know, when you think about, we just, we're, we're in the weekend right now, you've got your Friday night and your Saturday night, and some of you are so busy you don't get to hang out with people. Um, I know how that feels, although I did get to hang out with people this weekend. (laughs) Um, But when you think about hanging out with your best friends on uh, a Friday night, you don't think to yourself, oh, it's Friday night, and the feeling's right, right? But I got to go suffer through Bobby's company, right? That's not how you think. It's not how you think because you normally don't befriend people that don't think about things like you and don't have the same perspective you have on things. Normally you befriend people who think a lot like you. You go to have conversation with people and it's easy, it's relaxed, right? You're telling the same jokes, you're on the same wavelengths, and that's wonderful. That's what friendships are about. It's about being relaxing, being able to let your hair down in front of people, not having to worry about what you're saying. But, but here's the thing. Get, get this with me. Too often, we judge the local church based on how well we jive with those in it. This is not right. This is not right. The church was never meant to be a social club. The definition of a social club is an organization consisting of members that have a shared interest. And while we as Christians do have a shared interest, this is not, let me say this so loud, this is not the basis or the foundation of this entity, this organization. I want to be real clear here. The church's foundation has never been an idea or an agenda. The church's foundation has always been a person person who makes himself one with us who grafts us into his body that we share in his spirit and enjoy communion with all the redeemed forever and ever and ever that's what the church is and we get this crazy idea thinking that it's something else you know well you know they over at this church they kind of do these things you missing it You're missing it. Listen to Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the what? Cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is why Paul says that we walk with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, suffering with one another. Why? Because we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Church, lean in here. The goal of carrying out your role as a church member is that the unity of of God's spirit would be maintained in his church. That's the goal. You know that most of the church's problems stem from her lack of unity, lack of oneness. Even Peter knew this as he wrote chapter three of verse eight in his epistle. He said, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, even the thing that we professed a minute ago. Talked about what? Unity. Unity. This is what Jesus prays for in John 17. He says to his Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they also may be all one. Just as you, Father, and me, and I and you, you and me, that they may also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one. Just Listen to this unity. That they may be one, even Father, as we are one. I and them, and you and me, and they may become perfectly one. So that you, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. We miss that. Can we just be honest? Like, in studying this passage, this this is hitting me afresh. That the goal of everything we're doing is that we would have a oneness, church. A oneness that displays the gospel to the world. Before we leave this passage, I want to, go to the picture that helps, uh, But before we leave this passage and we go to the next picture in a different uh, uh, scripture, I want you to look at verse 11, and I want to briefly note something on here. We don't have time to dig in. I told you, there's so much I want to say that I can't say today because I don't have time, Um, but Paul says in verse 11 that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, All right. Now, you may not know much about these giftings or roles uh, in the body of Christ, but this list of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers is often referred to as APEST, A-P-E-S-T. Many people think that this refers to various leadership giftings, and having been myself part of four different churches and on staff at three of those churches, I would definitely agree with this. God's leaders are are wired very differently, very differently, and it's a wonderful thing. I'll actually say more on this in a couple of weeks when I preach on the role of a pastor, but just know that when any place, listen to me, when any place is dominated by the giftings or personality of one person, they are destined to be off track, destined to be off track. Beware. Any place, any church is 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 profoundly influenced by one dominant personality. That's not a good thing. We have these various leadership giftings. If you look at detail at this APES model, what you'll quickly find is each of these giftings prioritize vastly different things in the body of Christ, all of which are extremely important. Let me just give you a quick survey. All right, this is interesting. The apostle seems to always be casting vision and looking at where the church needs to go, needs to head a visionary the prophet is essentially the osha representative always clamoring about the weaknesses of the church right some of you are like we've got a lot of prophets uh i'm just kidding we really don't um you're thinking your spouse is a prophet though <laughs> just kidding i'll stop um the evangelist is always focused on those who don't know jesus while the teacher is always focused on building up those who do know Jesus. And the shepherd, I would say, represents the vast majority of local pastors, just godly men who love their people and want to keep them safe. You with me? So in a church where you have most of these giftings represented in your leadership, and I just want to say we do here at Grace Fellowship, it's glorious. But when you have these different giftings represented in the leadership guess what you get a bunch of fighting (laughs) do you expect me to say something different you get quite a bit of fighting and and the fighting comes from the the differing perspectives the differing perspectives As, as 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 we're sitting in an elder room and I'm saying yeah but look at this and Carlton Brown's saying yeah but look at this and, and and Aaron Ackers saying, "Look at that, right?" <laughs> I'm just kidding. But this kind of different perspectives, being willing to work things out, makes the body build up and grow, bearing with one another in love. That one personality trait or one gift type does not dominate Christ's church. Who needs to dominate Christ's church? The one who gave himself up for his church. And, uh, and, and, and none of us exemplify him wholly, all right? So Paul says, maintain the unity of the spirit with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing, suffering, wrestling with one another. Why? Well, look at what Paul says in verse 15 before we go elsewhere. Because we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, what does it do? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It's glorious. When we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, we are building up the body in love so that the body makes itself grow. And you know what this does? Nourishes every member. Nourishes every member. So make this your aim as a church member. All right? Now, we're going to get to the role of a church member. All right? I know it only took like 25 minutes to get there. But here's the, here's the question we want to seek to answer with the time we have left. How do I practically maintain the unity of the Spirit? All right? Turning your Bibles to Acts 2.42. As you turn there, um, we're going to see a picture here, another picture of the early church and before I show you this picture let me say that this picture doesn't give us all the details I want to make that so clear this morning what I'm preaching on the role of a church member I'm leaving out a whole bunch okay but I'm trying to center in on the main things Um, and so that's what this picture does is it gives us a real idea of what's at the core when it comes to our role as a church member so here we go Acts 2 42 I'm going to read through verse 47 It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So two things I want to point out in this picture as kind of a way to help you view it, all right? In verse 42, we see that these local church members devoted themselves to certain things, which we're going to talk about. And in verse 45, we see that they were sacrificial. So if you're taking notes, I'm trying to summarize, give you two summary headings here about the role of a church member. The role of a church member can be summed up, or at least I'm summing it up this morning, with two words, devotion and sacrifice. Devotion and sacrifice. All right, let's look at devotion first. What were these church members devoted to? Well, We see, right, written that it's the apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles' teaching? Apostles were teaching the scriptures. We have proof of that if you continue reading on in Acts. They're teaching and exegeting God's word. And so here's the idea. Really quick, all these are just going to be straight to the point. If we want to maintain the unity of the spirit, if you personally want to maintain the unity of the spirit of God's church then you will be a people who are devoted to God's word. Devoted to his word. If you're a church member at Grace Fellowship, then one of your main roles is to know the word of God. Study the word of God. Read commentary on the word of God. Get to know the overarching biblical themes of the scriptures. And some, some of you might say they are sitting here, well, I, I thought that's the pastor's job. Isn't he called to do that? Well, yeah, that's what everybody's been thinking, which is why so many churches today have such poor leadership. Pastors always, always need the members of Christ's church to inquire about their teaching because it encourages them that their people are bought in, ready and willing to base all of their life on what God is saying in his word, rather than just being compliant to show up and listen to the pastor's opinion each and every Sunday and go, well, that's a good word, I guess. We'll continue on with the week. No, 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 no. We want to be more informed than that. But it also challenges the pastor to study well and know the word of God himself. It builds up the whole body as better conversations are had with one another and the the, the world because The body, Christ's body, is able, the members are able to speak intelligibly about God's word. They're not children tossed to and fro. So the very first way in which you maintain the unity of the spirit is by devoting yourself to the teaching of scriptures. And before we move to the next one, I I do have to mention, I thought about not doing this, I took it out and then I put it back in, but I just think it's important that you know this Um, because it's for our context. This is a wrong way of thinking that is super prevalent in our area, Calhoun County, all right? It's rampant. There are people who believe that the lack of depth and precision with God's word is actually the way to be more unified. I've heard this come out of countless pastors' mouth in this area with with silly slogans like doctrine divides, all right? I'm not trying to to, to rail this morning, but here's what I do want to say. There is a unity that you can have that is not the unity of God's Spirit. Many non-Christians are unified by many things. And many churches are unified around many things things, things like style of worship they perform or types of programs they offer, but this is not the unity of God's spirit. The unity of the spirit is fueled by deep devotion to studying and understanding God's word. God's word is not in opposition to his spirit. It never is. Therefore, the church, the role of a church member, the very first role of a church member is to devote themselves to biblical teaching. Alright? If you want to follow up, what do you mean more about that? You, you you started down that road. I did it on purpose. I cut it off on purpose. All right. But if you want to talk more about that, I'm happy to. Acts 2 also says, secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Church fellowship is of supreme importance, and it's your second role as a church member to devote yourself to fellowship. Now, hope you're asking the question: what is fellowship? Right? Maybe you think you know. I actually think the word fellowship here, as you study about it, is better communicated with our word camaraderie. Here's what our word camaraderie is defined as. It's defined as mutual trust and friendship among people who spend a lot of time together. All right, That's the goal of fellowship, is that we would learn to trust each other and love each other as we spend time together. The point of fellowship is spending time together, building mutual trust and friendship And this sounds like, well, okay, that's easy, check, I'll know how to do that. But here's the thing, let's be honest, this is especially hard for us, and the reason it's especially hard for us is because we are very busy people who lead very busy lives. Amen? Okay? And if we're being super honest this morning, we probably don't spend adequate time with our families, much less others in the church. But being devoted to fellowship means spending time together. Too often we give our free time away to making more money or picking up a hobby. But the role of a church member is to be devoted to fellowship. This could mean hosting dinners for others in the church, going to home group. That's an easy one. Staying after service and Catching up with others, grabbing lunch with somebody, planning get-togethers and hangouts. But let me give one pro tip when it comes to finding time for fellowship. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I have no time, right? I feel that way sometimes. (laughs) And this is just practical. A lot of my best fellowship with others actually comes from what I call the ride-along approach. The ride-along approach. This is when I look at my calendar and think, "Man, I don't have time this week to meet with Lucas or Jake or Joe." But rather than tell those guys, "Hey, I don't have time to meet with you," I say, "Hey, uh, I'm I'm heading to Lowe's. You want to go? Hey, I I've got a basketball game tonight in the boonies. <laughs> you want to ride?" And so what I get is guys riding along with me, spending time together, sitting, golly, that's a great way to get to know me, sit next to me on the bench as I coach a basketball game, right? A couple of them have done that, and they're probably thinking, I don't ever want to do it again. Uh, But this is the ride-along approach. Just ask people, man, just just roll with me. I got some chores to do today. I got some errands to run. Ladies, maybe you can grocery shop together. Guys, work out together. Do odd jobs. The main reason that Carlton still drives to Jacksonville to work out at Fellow is for fellowship because he thinks it's of importance. It's out of the way for him. It's not convenient. His life is this way. But fellowship is of supreme importance. And it's the role of a church member. Third, Paul says that they were devoted to breaking bread. Breaking bread is short for the Lord's Supper. If, If you didn't know. This is how, uh, and, and maybe you think, why did the Lord's Supper make the list? Like, I just thought that's, like, how is that our role? Um, that's offered at different times. that seems like out of step with these other roles of to-dos. Well, uh, yeah. For the early church, um, communion was a weekly ordinance. It was a centerpiece of their corporate service. And maybe one day it will be the same for us. That's my prayer, desire aside. Being devoted to breaking bread is a priority in the life of the believer. And for this sermon, the third role of the church member. Breaking bread is not just a privilege of a church member, but a role that they are called to fulfill. And here's why. Well, listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, he eats and drinks judgment on himself. You see, this meal is about proclaiming the Lord's death for the forgiveness of sins. It's like shouting the gospel with, with the display. And we should be doing this constantly. But Paul says that you can't do this. You can't take this meal if you have sin. So this meal purifies the body of Christ. Every time we take the meal, thus making her, his bride beautiful. And let me state it clearly. Partaking in the Lord's Supper makes a public declaration That Jesus is our life. He is our treasure. He is our food and drink. And our only hope in life and death. And you can't make that declaration if in your heart you're harboring sin. You're harboring like Achan was. A different treasure. According to God's word, this is how you become sick. Because you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. This role of regularly taking communion purifies us as members of the body of Christ. It has this effect. And we need regular purification. This is why breaking of the bread is a role of a church member. Lastly, we we read that they were devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. Carlton spoke much on this last week, so I don't have a whole lot to say. But what's being talked about here is corporate prayer. Praying together as the body. And I want to let you know that this year we will be instituting lots of corporate prayer times, a lot of more corporate prayer times. Starting uh, the end of the month on January 29th, we're going to have an evening prayer service that we want all home groups to be at. We want everyone in the church to be at. And we're going to pray together at that time. See, because corporate prayer, hear this, corporate prayer is the fuel for personal prayer. And personal prayer, as we said earlier, is the key to approaching all of life by faith. Let me say that again. Corporate prayer fuels personal prayer. And personal prayer is the key to approaching all of life by faith. So we need to be praying, church. All right? Quickly, at this point, we see in verse 43 that their devotion to these things, these four things that we briefly mentioned... All right. It caused all to come upon every soul. Great things were being done through the apostles. But on in verse 44, it says that they had what? All things in common. Now what does that mean? Well, if we jump ahead to Acts 4, you don't have to go there, just take my word for it. Acts 4.32 states it this way. It kind of restates it. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart. And one soul. One heart and one soul. And no one said any of the things belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Everything in common. Now here's where we don't want to go. it has got to be a caution here. We have uh, lots of folks who, who might take this and run with it. This is not Christian communism. All right? If you're a fan of that, I hate to crush you this morning, but it's not Christian communism. All right? Communism says, give me your stuff. Come on. Empty your pockets, Bruce. Let's go so that I can take it and redistribute it to everybody else. All right? That's not what's happening here. In fact, we never have any record of the apostles doing that kind of thing. But what we do see in Acts is individuals, individuals being so moved by God's spirit, so devoted to his church that they gladly sacrifice all they have. You see the difference It's not under compulsion. It's that God's spirit has so moved in them that they say, I'm so devoted to his bride. I love her. I want to give everything I have. Everything I have. And that's where I want to end today. Look at verse 45. It says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had a need. And day by day attending the temple. Together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I'm just going to be honest with you. As packed as it is in here, we got quite a few people praying that the Lord would save more people. So I don't think it's going to get any less packed unless we build. Somebody's going to have to sacrifice for that to happen, right? (laughs) Seriously, though, what we see in Acts is an ideal of what Christ's church should look like. A picture of how church members should be functioning. Carrying out their role of devoting themselves to the teaching of scriptures, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and then living sacrificially for the body's sake. Why? Why? Listen to me. Because... They know that as the body is built up, they will be built up too. You see that? You want to get built up, invest yourself to the body. You see, it's the insider tip that most people don't know. If you're looking for the greatest return on your investment, then look no further than God's local church. You won't find a better return on your time talent and treasure when you invest it gladly into his local body i've checked i've checked mike can double check me on this this week there is no bank no stock market nor startup that promises eternal returns am i right now this is this a call as you call mike is this a call not to invest your money of course it's not It's a call to invest your stuff with the Lord's church. We're going to be wise in all things, man. But if you're not invested here, invest yourself here. Invest yourself here. A lot of us miss out that what Jesus was doing in Matthew 6. I want you to go back and read that today. What Jesus is doing, he's laying down trade secrets. Storing up treasures in heaven where moth, rust, doesn't mess with stuff. Now, I say all that really excitedly because I believe it. But here's what I'm confident of as I end I have no power with my communication or my charisma. Carlton has no power. Your home group leader has no power to get you to devote yourself. To the point that you're willing to sacrifice anything and everything for God's local church. None of us have that power. You see, only Jesus has that kind of power. <laughs> only Jesus has that kind of magnetism and draw for you, for me. And here's the reason it's only because it's because that Jesus is only the one who worthy of that kind of devotion and sacrifice. He's the only one worthy. And you might be here sitting to yourself thinking, well, well, I agree with that, Corey. I'm willing to commit myself and sacrifice everything for Jesus, but you've been talking all morning about the local church. I just don't know if I'm bought in with that piece. Well, may I remind you that in Ephesians 5, Jesus We see that Jesus loves the local church so much that he's willing to give up his life for her. Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Listen to me, because this is a Paul-type statement. It doesn't end. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that to love him in a way that is different from the way you love his bride, his body, his people, that according to Jesus' prayer in John 17, are loved by God the Father in the same way that he loves his perfect son, To say that you love him whom you have not seen when you don't love his body made visible in the local church is simply not true. It's not true. Jesus wants you to know that this morning. He has made himself visible on this earth and it's his local body. (laughs) To love Jesus is to love his local church church where his redeemed are gathered under the authority of his word led by elders served by deacons and where each member of the body is being equipped for the work of ministry (laughs) so i've prayed and i'm making my prayer today that if you're not a member of grace fellowship the word from this morning would move your heart to pursue local church membership now this is where i am biased i hope it's here But if it's not here, make it somewhere else where God's word is the authority, where his people are being shepherded and cared for. Settle yourself in a local body. Become a church member. And for those of you who are members, I pray that this message would re-energize your commitment and help redefine the goals and roles that God has blessed you with at Grace Fellowship. May it be so. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. So much more could be said from your word on this topic, God. And the reason is, is because you love your church. And you love your people who are members of your bride. God, I pray that as we sing this last song, calling for you to reign in us. God, it would be more clear than ever that the way you will reign in us is as we submit ourselves to, devote ourselves to, and sacrifice for your local church. That's how you'll reign in us. God, you've been very clear about that in your word. And I pray that this morning, God, that there would be made by your Holy Spirit such a connection between what the person of Jesus is calling us to do and the authority that you've given your church to be your visible body, until you return. So we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you will, stand and let's sing together.